All right. Okay. Let's pray before we, we launch into it. Father, would you quieten our hearts? Um, Lord, would you just make everything else just go away um, so we can hear what you have to say to each of our hearts tonight, Lord? Would you please speak to us clearly, Lord? Would you be present with us, Lord? Would you um, point our eyes back to you um, as we sit in your presence, Lord, and as we read your word, Lord? Would you bring it to life in us, um, Lord, just open our eyes and make this a, a special time for us that we don't forget, Lord. Would you imprint these words on our hearts um, and bring fruit out of them in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So this is the last. This, this will not be. In one way, this, this, is, this is like not, doesn't feel as intense um, as all of the kind of other crazy. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about drugs. Let's talk about abortion. Right, they're all really crazy, hard-hitting topics. But this one is actually the key to all of them. Okay, so if you're not paying attention in this one, you're kind of seeing the fruit right, on the tree, which is all the last few weeks. That's, that's the fruit. Right? Selfishness, sexuality, blah, 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 blah. Going haywire, that's all the fruit. This right here, what we're about to talk about, is the root of that tree that's bearing everything that we've talked about in the last um, couple of months. Yeah, so bear with me. I know, I know I've had a long day. I don't know whether you guys have had a long day, but you, you're on holidays now, but you still look a little bit sleepy. So I just, I just need hands up if you're, you're with me. Yeah, you're with me? It's not hot. You finished exams, finished exams, right? Yeah, now I have another test. That's fine. Um, are you with me? Just say yes. Are you with me? Say yes. Are you with me? Say yes. Are you with me? Say yes. That's better. Thank you. All right. Good. As long as say. Funny. Okay. Um, the root of all of this is a word that you might have read in the Old Testament. Okay. It's in the New Testament too, but especially in the Old Testament, called idolatry. Right. And we label tonight idols. Okay. Idolatry is a very, very serious thing, but a very, very common thing and a very, very subtle thing. Yeah, it's everywhere. You just and it's definitely in you, but you just don't notice and you just think it's fine. But it is the root of so much of the sin that is in your life, so much of the deviation from God that is in your life. Right. And I won't say your this most definitely in my life. OK. Let's go through, just try to follow with me and let's see if we can get the logic of this right. Okay, we'll just go step by step. I want to read you the first verse that we read in the series, which started this whole thing, right? This is the Imago Day series, image of God, made in the image of God, right? We talked about what that means and I keep repeating it because hopefully you'll never forget it after the series because we've said it like a billion times, right? That we are the only creatures on earth that were made in the image of God, that God designed on purpose and put something of himself in us. He put his thumbprint on us, his fingerprint on us and made us unique and made us special in that way. The animals aren't like us. They're awesome, but they're not like us. The mountains aren't like us. They're awesome, but they're not like us. The chimpanzees are awesome, but are not like us. They don't bear the image of God. Okay. We were made special. In the image of God. 
and God gave us good gifts to enjoy, right? But when we took those gifts and we separated them from God who gave them, we started to go haywire, okay? And that's what tonight is actually about. Even though we've been talking about it for the last two months, that's what tonight, that's really what the root of it is about. When we take that gift and we separate it from God, that's actually called idolatry. That's making that gift the idol and actually taking the gift and putting it on a pedestal and ignoring the person who gave you the gift. And when we do that, when we take the gift and we separate it from the person who gave it to us and from what he meant by it when he gave it to us, it becomes something very twisted and very dark. We talked about sex, we talked about porn, we talked about substances, we talked about alcohol, we talked about abortion, we talked about children are a good gift from God. Deciding that my body is my own and that I don't want that gift anymore is a deviation from that. It's taking the body that God gave me and saying, well, that's, that's what I'm going to worship. I am, well, that's jumping the gun. Let's go through this, right? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. This is the first verse we ever read that kicked off the series. Right? Listen carefully. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion control over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth, right? The word image here is important. Who's still with me? Okay, great. I hope that you're not just used to like seeing my hand go up and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's like a reaction. But that's okay. Even if it is, it'll wake you up. Blood flow. Okay. Exodus 20 says this. All right. Exodus 20 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, not because people know that it's Exodus 20, but because it contains the Ten Commandments. Everybody forgets where that is. It's in Exodus 20. From the beginning, from verse 1, it says this, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. That's a really big statement. I am the Lord your God. Nothing else is your God. It's me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry 101, what is that? It's having anything take the place of God as God. That's it. It's worshipping anything in your life as if it was God. It's putting God to one side and saying, nope, that's not your place. You don't sit on the throne. I'm going to put this thing there instead and I'm going to worship it. You shall have no other gods before me, before doesn't, in its position, right? You shall not have any other gods that take my place. Nothing takes my place. I am your God. You shall not make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself an image. Yeah, the word image pops up again. An image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me 
and keep my commandments. In other words, what he's saying is you can take something that's created and begin to worship it. You can take the gift and begin to worship the gift and forget about the giver. And when you do that, you make that gift an idol. Because when we think about idols, we think about like when you're playing Temple Run or whatever, and you find like that thing that you've got to like jump and grab or whatever. Like that's an idol. It's this little thing with like two diamonds for eyes and it's like made of stone and you know, people bow down to it and chant weird things and whatever. That's what we think of as an idol. That's maybe an idol in some places where people physically do that. But an idol, like I said, is much more common and much more subtle because it can be anything that you worship instead of God. And half the time you don't know you're doing it, and I'm going to prove it to you in a second. But it's really, really, really interesting, right? And I want you to become aware of it because the fruit that's coming out, we've already talked about, comes from idolatry, comes from putting anything in God's place. Who's still with me? Great. Okay. Let me prove it to you. We were made in the image of God, right? The word image. We were made in the image of God, okay? To worship God. Yeah? We all agree on that one? We're made in the image of God to worship God. Instead, we started to worship the image. Who's the image? I started to worship myself. Right? That's the ultimate rebellion against God. To say, look, I know that you belong on the throne of my life. I know that you made me. I know that you saved me. I know that this whole show belongs to you. But please step aside and get off that throne because it belongs to me. I'm going to sit there. And from that throne... I'm going to make whatever decisions I see fit. And that's what we've seen in the last however many weeks. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second, right? So what happens when we worship ourselves, when we worship the image and all that comes from that image, instead of the one who gave the image? Instead of the substance of that image. Yeah, it's like you have a, Michael, a, a poster of Michael Jordan on your wall. Like, oh, you know all of Michael Jordan's stats and you know everything about my, And like, oh my gosh, Michael Jordan. And you've never actually met Michael Jordan. And you don't care at all about Michael Jordan or what's happening in his life. But you just have this image that you are consumed with of Michael Jordan. But you have no idea who or what Michael Jordan actually is. But instead of that, I've said, instead of Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, I don't even care about that poster. I'm just going to rip that down and put a picture of myself up there and worship myself. Just look at myself in the mirror every morning and go, hey. You don't notice, but I'll prove it to you, okay? When we do that, two things happen, and it, it gets real interesting now. Two things happen, okay? Every time you do that, and this is how, start to see in yourself, is this true of me or not? So when I was listening to this, I was like, man, I messed up, okay? When we begin to worship the image, not the substance, this is what happens. We suppress the truth of God. We push down the truth of God. Okay? We shove it to the side. We don't really accept it. And we question the character of God. Right? I didn't make this stuff up. This comes from Tim Keller and Matt Chandler and a bunch of other people who I really like listening to. Right? But just listen. When we're worshipping ourselves or we're worshipping an image, we're putting anything that's not God in God's place. We start to suppress the truth of God. And we start to question the character of God. I'll explain what that means in a second. Okay. This was the command that God gave. We're going to go back to Genesis that God gave in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2 verse 15. 
Okay, verses that you all know. Genesis 2 verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Very famous verse. Yeah. This is really interesting. Actually, I didn't notice this until today. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What does that mean? It means God gave that command to Adam before Eve came on the scene. Never noticed that before. The exact words are, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay. What happens next? We go to Eve in Genesis 3. Right? From verse uh, 1. This is where it gets real interesting, so I need you to wake up, right? Because you're going to need to connect some dots here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Who's the serpent? Satan. Correct. He said to the woman, Did God really say? Yeah, God did really say so there's truth in that why because everything that god speaks is the truth the first thing that satan does to eve to trick her before the fall did god really say suppression pushing down the truth let's question that did god really say that is that really true is that really how it is do i really have to wait to be married to have sex is this drug like i can try it once and i'll be free of it is that really Isn't that really the case? Um, Will this thing really ruin my life? Will this relationship really drag me away? You start to question what you know deep down in here and in here is true. Has God really said suppression of truth? Let's push that down. Let's push that to the side because it's uncomfortable. I don't want to hear that. You know why? Because I've already made up my mind that I want to go against it. So when I hear it, it's uncomfortable to me because it's going in the other direction. I don't want that. Put it to the side, please. Did God really say? Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. That's a nice tricky one there by Satan because he knows that that one isn't true. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. So he wants Eve to correct him. Right? Then the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. She added that bit for creative effect. He didn't say that. Or you will die. Interesting. So what does Satan say? Let's suppress the truth some more. Let's really hit it home. You will not certainly die. This time it's not bending it. It's not pushing it a little bit away. It's just outright contradicting it. You will not certainly die. That's a lie. God is a liar. Because to worship worship yourself, you can't both be on the throne. Somebody has to be wrong. So if one of us is going to be right, it's either going to be me and then I'm going to sit on the throne or it's going to be God, in which case I should shut up and let him sit where he belongs. That's not the case here. Satan doesn't want that. So hey, did God really say? Hey, no, let me correct you, Eve. God didn't say that at all. It's wrong. It's a lie. Suppress the truth. 
You will not certainly die. And here's point number two. The serpent said to the woman, verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What does that say to you? For God knows. Now I'm beginning to question the character of God. Well, hey, if God knows that when I eat from this, I'm going to be able to see good and evil and I'm going to be like Him, why would He want to stop me from doing that? I thought He was a good God. I thought He was generous. Is He just playing games with me? Is He just keeping me back from this good thing just because He's evil and He's mean and He just wants to control me like a puppet? Is that the case? Hey, God is keeping something good away from you. Hey, when God says wait for marriage to have sex, He's playing with you. He already knows. He already knows that if you get a taste of this thing, man, you're going to go to a new level and He doesn't want you there. He doesn't want you near Him. He doesn't want you to be like Him because if you do that, you'll be equal with Him. No, 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 no. He wants you to stay away. He doesn't want you to have this good gift. So He lied to you and His intentions for you are bad. He doesn't really have your best interest at heart. You can't really trust him or what he says or his motivations or how he feels about you or what he thinks about you. Everything that he wants for you is a selfish ambition for himself. Who is he? Take him off the throne and go sit there yourself and make your own decisions, Eve. Make your own decisions, Eve. When the woman saw... Excuse me. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she never saw that before. She's been looking at this tree for however long. She never suddenly saw that it was good for food and no, no, no. Her mind changed. Because now the truth that God said didn't matter. And now God is trying to keep something good away from me. Because he's not sincere and he doesn't really care. So I've suppressed his truth and I've questioned his character. Who's still with me? Yeah, great. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, for leveling up somehow, she took some of it and ate it. Even though two verses before she said, God said, if I do this, I'm going to die. In that moment, it doesn't seem to matter. Hey, when I open up that screen and watch porn, I know that it's going to just mess me up. I know that. And two minutes later, I'm on the website anyway. I know that I've had this drug a billion times before. I know what it does to me. I know the high, but I know the crash. And yet here I am with a couple of grams. I know what this relationship does to me. I know what this... I know this person, I know what this, 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 just go through the list. I just said it. I said it. Eve said it. God said this. If I do this, I'm going to die. One sentence from Satan and it doesn't seem to matter anymore because God is a liar and God doesn't have my best interests at heart. So why should I listen to anything he says or regard his opinion? He doesn't belong in my life, in my thinking, in my decision-making process. Step aside, please, God. 
let me take that chair. And uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they saw that they were naked. Idolatry, choosing to worship myself, my opinion, my thought process was what led and what I believe to be true after suppressing God's truth and calling him a liar and questioning his character and his intention for me in my life. That right there, that little flip is the root of the fall of all of humanity and every fall that you have every day. Every single day. This is why I'm saying this is probably the most important thing that you'll hear in all the, the last ones that you've just heard. That's the root. Let's, let's dig into it, right? Why? Why did Satan do that to Eve? Other than the fact that he hates God. But why does he hate God? You ever, you ever stop to question why he feels this way? Let me read you one of the most insane chapters of the Bible. I'm going to read you some verses. Isaiah 14 from verse 9. talks about this king. right? This man who was a king. Uh, but very quickly you realize that this, this dude is most likely just not human. Because just the things that it says about him, you're like, I think this is a bit metaphorical here. I don't think this is talking about an actual physical king. The person that it's talking about here is Satan himself. And what happened to him and why he hates God. Right? Listen carefully. The realm of the dead below hell is a stir, is buzzing to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations, they will all respond and they will say to you, this is Satan, they will say to Satan, you also have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. It's not talking about an earthly king. Son of the dawn, which are all both names for Satan, by the way. You have been cast down to the earth, which Jesus talks about in the New Testament. You uh, who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I, there's the root of all your sin. Just, if that's, I can end the sermon right there. There's the root of, every, just, just that word, I. Anything that begins with that is, you're screwed. That's it, you're done. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne, here we go, above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost high of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. I see what God's doing. I see what He's like. I see where He's sitting. That seat is becoming real attractive to me. So I'm going to hatch a plan. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise myself up 
to be God instead. I want his chair. I will raise my throne above the heavens. And I will make myself like the most high God. I'm going to take his job. That's Satan. That's before he met Eve here. So what does he do to her? He knows that the surest way to get her to fall is the only way that he knew how. It's the only thing that made him fall. So he does the same thing to her. So he does the same thing to her. He says, hey, don't you want to be like God? Have you ever noticed that before? Have you ever read this before? He said, don't you want to be like God? Did God really say that you can't do that? Don't you want to be like Him? Come on, come with me. We're going to rise up and be like God. Because He knows that if you do this, you're going to become like Him. And He doesn't want that for you. There's all this awesome stuff on the other side of you eating this fruit. And He doesn't want it for you. Because He's a liar and He's not good. So come join me in my fall. Eve didn't know that. right? But Satan did. Because he had just fallen for doing the exact same thing. And we followed him in that fall. And you follow him in that fall every day, and so do I. Not just the first time, again and again and again and again. Right? So how do I identify what the idols in our life are? Who's still with me? Who gets what I'm saying? Great, all right. Let's have a read of this. I wanna read you guys some stuff, really cool stuff. Again, didn't make these ones up. They would have been cool, but didn't do that. I want to read you some of these. Okay. How do you know what an idol is in your life? This is the important bit. This is a practical bit. Okay. The rest of it's practical from here on out. Now you know the theory. Okay. It's this statement. Examine yourselves now and think about it real deep because it's this statement right here. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if, and then there are a bunch of statements, and I'll tell you which one, which idol they belong to, okay? Like I said, it's subtle and it's common. Life only has, if I'm holding on to something that's making me feel like life only has meaning if I have it, or I only have worth if I have it, that thing is an idol. Listen up. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. That's called power idolatry. Power is my idol and I'm controlled by it. Whatever your idol is, whatever you worship, you're controlled by it. Okay? Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I am loved and respected by X, group, person, whoever. Life only has meaning, I only have purpose if I have this kind of pleasurable experience or a particular quality of life. That's called comfort idolatry. The one before it was approval idolatry. Okay? I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of X. That's control idolatry. If I don't do that, my life has no meaning and I have no worth. Straight away. I have no meaning and my life has no, my life has no meaning and no worth um, if people aren't dependent on me and need me. Right? Dependency. 
Um, my life doesn't have any meaning and I don't have any worth if I am completely, unless I am completely free from obligations or responsibilities to care for someone. Independence, idolatry. Or unless I'm being recognized for my accomplishments and I'm excelling at my work, achievement, idolatry. I have a certain level of wealth or financial freedom and very nice possessions, materialism, idolatry. All right, this one really got me. I feel like my life has no meaning and I have no worth unless I am adhering, sticking to my religion's moral codes and accomplishing its activities. That one stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, whoa, religion can be an idol because religion is not relationship with God. Religion is just a set of rules. But I feel like I'm worthless unless I'm standing up here to preach to you. What's the purpose of my life if I can't do this? And you won't respect me and I have no worth if I don't stick to the Christian things that I'm supposed to be doing. You see me praying. You see me reading my Bible. You see me singing. You see me preaching. I'm coming to church. I'm ticking off all the boxes. And so instead of actually the object of the worship that's supposed to happen here, which is God, the person who it's supposed to all be pointing towards, I've made this the final destination. I've made religion and I've made the activities of my religion the final destination. And that's become an idol in my life that has replaced God. It's the image, not the substance. And I've started to worship it. My life has no meaning and I have no worth unless this one person in my life is happy that I'm there or is happy with me personally. Right? I feel I'm totally independent of organized religion and I'm living a self-made morale. There's heaps of them. My race or culture is ascendant and is recognized as superior. That's racism. But at the same time, it's cultural idolatry. And there are some people who feel that way. Like if you put down the fact that I'm gay or I belong to this community or I'm black or I'm this or I'm that. No, the fact that I'm black has to be everything. The fact that I'm gay has to be everything. The fact that I'm a doctor has to be everything because I belong to this group here and the group has to rise above everything and I have to rise with it and I'm attached to it. And if that group crumbles, it's over for me. I feel like my life has no meaning and I have no worth because I tied all of it up in my idol. But the idol, and this is the really interesting part. Who's still with me? The idol... All the things that I've just read are good in and of themselves. Achievement is good. Working hard at school is good. Wanting to please your parents is good. Wanting to love and be loved by others is good. Why? Because it comes from God. And because it has a purpose to reflect God back. But I've removed God from the equation, which is what this entire series has been about. And I've put that gift instead of the giver on the pedestal. And I said, well... Pleasing my parents is my all in all. If my parents are not pleased with me, my life is over. If this person doesn't love me back, my life is over. If I don't get this grade, if I don't get this job, if I don't get this career, if I don't, my life is over. All The moment you say my life is over because this thing has fallen down, it's an idol. It's an idol. Let me read you. We're really interesting. There's like this little grid that tells you like 
Um, if you have this particular like thing as an idol in your life, this is what you'll experience. And I thought it was really interesting. If power is your idol, if power is what you seek, then your greatest nightmare is humiliation. Because that's when you've lost all control and you can't do anything about it. And if you feel that that's your greatest fear, you should know that power is lurking there as a little idol sitting on top of your shelf. People around you often feel used because of that. And your problem emotion is anger. I thought this was really interesting. I'm like, ooh, bit of a self-reflective dive there. If approval is your idol, then rejection is your greatest nightmare. If, if this is what I want out of life and if I have no worth and no purpose in life unless people accept me and approve me and say this is a good guy, I want to be around him, then your greatest fear is most definitely rejection. If it's comfort, then stress and demands are your greatest nightmare. If it's control, then uncertainty is your greatest nightmare. And a really good way to reverse it and be like, well, what's my idol? How do I find out? What's your greatest nightmare? What's the thing that, oh my gosh, if that happened, my life would be over? Yeah. Whatever that's coming from, that's your idol. It's not coming from God. That's for sure. I want to read you something that will make this really clear to you. I want to read you a little piece from, um, what's a couple of quotes strung together actually, from um, a book by a guy named Tim Keller. Um, and it says this, The incomplete joys, the incomplete joys, who's still with me? Respect. The incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. You know that deep down. But you don't really care. Right? Um, an idol is something we cannot live without. Sex, drugs, porn, whatever. Right? Relationships, they don't all have to be these crazy, like, um, you know, my grades. If I get less than a 90, oh my gosh. An idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules. We once honored to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. Textbook Eve. She just said what the code was. She just said what the rules were. And she respected them. No, Satan. God didn't say that we can't eat from any tree. We just can't eat from this one because if we do that, we're going to die. That's the rule. I'm not going to break it. But then Satan showed her something that she thought she couldn't live without. That you thought that you couldn't live without. And unless you did this thing or you had this thing, oh my gosh, you'll just never be able to experience life properly. Trash. Absolute trash. That God is holding something precious on the other side of this invisible line that He's forbidding you to cross. Oh yeah, I'm going to draw this line in the sand and there's going to be like this great golden apple that's going to like change your life forever magically. And you know, I don't, ever, don't you dare step over that apple's for me. That's not for you. You can just look at it. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Go away. It's not for you. What happens when, have you ever done this experiment with a Sunday school kid? Just put a cookie in a jar and just close it and tell them, hey, what if, there's like literally bring like 10 boxes of Krispy Kremes and say, hey, you can eat whatever you want on this table. You can do the Garden of Eden experiment with kids. It's great. Put a cookie in a jar on like, just the, like, I don't know, just above like on, on the shelf, right? And say, you can eat anything you want. You've got koshari, you've got this, you've got that. You, eat anything you want. You just can't have this one 
cookie in the jar in a room full of delicious food. You just can't. Maybe 10 minutes goes by. Maybe 20. Maybe 30. Maybe even a day. But I guarantee you that that kid is going to make, eventually, it's just going to, he's like eating the donut and he's happy with it, but his eye keeps going to the shelf, right? He's eating the kosher and he's like, mm, it's good, but his eye keeps going to the shelf. Eating the, eventually what's going to happen, he's going to go to the shelf, he's going to open that jar. Even if I told him that it was a poison cookie, he doesn't care. Because it's the one thing that's like, oh, it's a mystery. I have to try it to find out for myself. Tell me it's not true. And tell me you haven't done it. That's what we're like. An idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored. To harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. Tell me that a drug addiction isn't harmful. Tell me that a substance addiction isn't harmful. Tell me that a string of sexual relationships outside of marriage isn't harmful. Tell me that abortion isn't harmful to you and someone else. There was a code once. Then I removed the person who gave that code and I said, I'm the one who makes the codes now. I'm the one who makes the rules now. And my happiness goes above everything else. And so does my decision-making process. And I have to have this. And so I break all my rules and I harm myself and I harm others in order to have it. Anything in life can serve as an idol or as a counterfeit, as a fake God. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. Marriage. I can't wait to be married. But if marriage becomes my all-consuming thought, and Lord, I'm happy to worship you, but unless you let me get married, then I can't. What's the point of my life, man? Unless you let me have this experience, what's the point? I have no worth. Nobody wants me. Why am I even here? There's this whole section of life that I'm not getting to experience. What's the point? Lord, you're good, but this is better. And the moment that you say, Lord, you're good, but this is better, that's an idol right there. That's the definition. Lord, you're good, but I actually want this more than you right now. Whatever it might be in that moment. That's when you've said to God, excuse me, please take your place under my idol. Please take your place under my idol because right now this thing is better than you and I want it more than I want you idol anything anything that you say that about there it is even if it's religion itself an idol is anything more important to you than God anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God does. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. If I have felt that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. If I felt that, then I'll know that I have value and I'll feel significant and secure. The that which he's referring to are the idols in our lives. The Bible uses three basic metaphors to talk about how people relate to idols in their hearts. They love idols, they trust idols, and they obey idols. God should be our true spouse, but we desire and delight in other things other than God. And when we do that, we commit spiritual adultery. Idols give us a sense of being in control, and we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. 
What do we fear the most? What if we lost it would make life not worth living? Idols control us since we feel like we must have them or life is meaningless. Because you have that feeling and you've tied your meaning to that idol, you're in big trouble because it controls you now. Because you have to obey it, otherwise you're going to lose it. And if you lose it, your life is over. It's common, it's subtle, and it's the root of all evil. Saying, God, you should be here. But right now, this is here. So please, take a step down. Move aside. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. Does that make sense? We don't control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of fake gods is to turn back to the one true living God. He's the only one who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. Because these idols, they don't forgive and they make terrible gods. How did it go after you finished watching porn? Was that fun for you? It makes a terrible God, pleasurable in the moment, but then as soon as you're off the high, man, that tidal wave of guilt that just gets dumped on top of your head. It's not forgiving doesn't take me by the shoulder and say, nah, there, there, you're okay. doesn't do that. My acceptance when I'm rejected by someone, it's not forgiving. That person doesn't want me. The only person who, when you actually fail them, actually gives you a way back is Jesus Christ himself. Nothing else does that. Nothing else wants to do that. Nothing else is designed to do that. It was a good gift, which is what this whole series has been about. Sex is a good gift. Relationships are a good gift. Achievement is a good gift. But when we separate it from the person who gave the gift and from its purpose, we twist it and warp it into something it should never have become. And it begins to destroy us. To destroy us. So this is where we're at. We show that we're worshipping an idol by the way that we live. It's not like, oh yeah, money is my idol. Nobody says that. Okay? We show it by the way that we live. What is it that you're pursuing? What is it that you find that you're always going after? Is it a relationship? Is it your allowance? Is it a grade? Is it showing off with a musical instrument? Is it a talent? Is it, is it I have to be a soccer player? I have to be this, whatever. What is it that you're always pursuing? Because there is something. There is something. I have one. Of multiple, actually. There is something. What takes up your thoughts? When you're at night, that's it, you finish your day. In that period between when you put your phone down and you're just kind of closing your eyes, waiting to go to sleep, there is something that keeps popping into your head every night. What is it? As that thing is your idol. I keep coming back to thinking about it. Whatever it is. The conversation that I had with this person and how it went. A girl that I'm undressing in my mind. That thing that I can't wait to do tomorrow. That person that I can't wait to speak to. That 
And it just, I just keep thinking that thought. I keep pushing it deeper and deeper and deeper into me. What do, where do you invest your money? Whatever money you have, where do you invest it? Where do you choose to invest it? What do you dread the most? Oh my goodness, if this happened, that would be the worst thing in the world. Because the opposite of that is your idol. What gives us a high when we receive it? I can't wait to do this so that I can... That is not God. That's your idol. Right there. The idols that we've discussed in this series are image and identity. Unless I get this many likes on Facebook, unless I look a certain way, unless I am a certain weight, unless I belong in this group of people, my life has no meaning and I have no worth. So you have made yourself and everything to do with you straight up idol. We've talked about social media and how using it can be an idol. I have to present myself a certain way. I'm a, that's an idol. And it controls you. We talked about sex and sexual fulfillment as being a massive idol. Because it controls you. It's a gift from God. When you separate God from it and you start worshipping sex and your sexuality and your fulfillment and your fantasy. It's a very dark and twisted thing that you can become. Marriage. Good gift. Made it an idol. because I put it above God. God, you're good, but I'd like to be married, please. Idol. Substances. Can't wait to wake up so I can find another hit of weed, drink, whatever. Abortion. I am God. I decide who lives and who dies. It's a very pure form of idolatry, that one. There's no messing around with it. I am God. God made life. No, He didn't. I make life. I made this life. I get to... See how that word I is just the root of everything that is wrong with human beings. I did this, therefore I get to decide what I do with it. The two I's in that sentence, if you replace them with God, God made this, therefore God gets to decide what is done with it. Problem solved. We never do that. Because we say to God, that's my chair, could you please move aside? I dolls, idolatry. That's what that is. Who understands what I'm saying? Genuinely, who understands what I'm saying? Great. So what does the Bible say about it? Because we're like five minutes, I promise, five minutes away from finishing. But you've been so good and this is so important. I really don't want to cut corners with it. Romans 1, 18 to 25. This is the New Testament version of that commandment or like the, the consequence really of, of messing with that commandment that you saw in Exodus 20, which is, hey, don't have any gods before me. Don't make images and worship them instead of me. Right? This is what happens. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. In other words, God's revealed Himself. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what He's made. I can't see God, but I can see the plants and the sun and everything else that He's made. And I'm like, oh yeah, somebody put that there. They've been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor did they give thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile 
and their foolish hearts became dark. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. This is, this is really the bit here. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged, here's the kicker, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And that's what the idol is. I exchanged. Please step down. I want to put this in your place. I exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And I worshipped and served created things. Those are the gifts. Rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Guilty. 100% guilty. No chance of defense there. So where do we stand? Whenever we are worshipping an idol, how do you begin to tell? Because what you know to be true, you've said it with your own mouth, just like Eve. God said this. You begin to question it and to push it aside because you don't want to obey it anymore. So you begin to suppress the truth. An idol makes you suppress the truth because it's uncomfortable. Push it aside. It also makes you question the character of God. Lord, you made sex. Sex is good. Everybody says it's good. Why wouldn't you want me to have sex? You're a bad parent. You must not want me to have fun. You just want to hold me back from being what I'm supposed to be, from enjoying what I'm supposed to be enjoying, what you gave me to enjoy. You're evil and you're torturing me by holding it away from me. I've suppressed the truth of God. I've questioned his character and his intention and his heart towards me. And out of those two things, I've decided, you know what, God, I don't want you running my life anymore because you don't have my best interest at heart. So please step aside. I'm going to do it my way. There it is. Every time. Every single time. We are the image, not the creator. We receive gifts, but we worship, we're supposed to worship, the giver of the gifts, not the gift. So here's the kicker. Christ himself was the greatest gift we'll ever receive. None of us think about that. We're going to bring it back to Jesus because that's where it begins. That's where it has its middle and that's where it has its end. John 3.16, without bringing it up, for God so loved the world that He gave. We're entering into December, Christmas. He gave. Not about the little snow globe that you're going to receive for KK from some random. Jesus Christ is the gift that was given and is the greatest gift that was given. Not sex, not money, not fruit, not whatever. It was Jesus Christ. And in and through Jesus, we have everything else that we'll ever need. Because remember, an idol, we put an idol up on a pedestal because we think that it's going to give us everything that we want. If I have approval, then I'm going to have joy, then I'm going to have fulfillment, then I'm going to have excitement, then I'm going to have purpose and meaning. And so I've tied up everything that only God can and does give me to my idol. But of course, my idol can't give me that. Jesus Christ is the gift and He is the giver. And in Him... And through Him, everything that you want from all your idols actually comes out. So when you detach the gift from the giver, you've got nothing but pain and misery. Romans 8.32 says this amazing verse. He, God the Father, who did not spare 
his own son, but gave him up for a soul. That was the most precious thing that God has. How will he not also graciously give us, along with Jesus, all things? I've already given you the most valuable thing I own. Why do you think I'm going to hold something good back from you behind this invisible line that I don't want you to cross, which is going all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Satan said, Hey, God's trying to keep it back from you. God's hiding something good from you and He doesn't want you to have it. Because He lied to you and He doesn't have your best interests at heart. What God responds to that is, I've already given you the most valuable thing I can possibly give you. Everything else is peanuts compared to my son. And I've already given him. Why do you think that I would withhold, that I would hold back anything good from you? Why? How does that make any sense? I've already given you the most valuable jewel in my treasure chest. Everything else is just a rock or it's rubbish silver coin that's just impure. Everything... Everything else is worth nothing to me. Have it freely. Enjoy it. I've already given you the best one. Everything you're looking for is in Christ. Joy, acceptance, fulfillment, empowerment, provision, purpose is in Christ. This is the bit that I want to end on. John, can you please close that door if that's okay? This is the bit that I want to end on. This series is called, I said series and Siri came up. This series is called Made in the Image of God. Like the moon was created to reflect the light of the sun, we're supposed to reflect the light that is Christ, the glory of God. We were made in the image of God. We were made to reflect that image. Can you imagine if the moon said, this light comes from me. I am the light. I am the sun. The moon was never supposed to be the sun. The moon was always supposed to reflect the sun. Yeah? You with me? Where the moon? God is the sun. There's only one sun. There's a lot of moons. One sun. That's our job. We're called to reflect back the light of Christ that is in us by His grace. We were never meant to think that we were the Son, only appreciate more and more how gracious the Son really is and reflect it back to ourselves and to the world around us. We were made in the image of God for the glory of God, to delight in God and to be with God. That's the last sentence. Made in the image of God. The Imago Dei series. This is the end of it. We were made in the image of God for the glory of God, to delight in and to worship God and to ultimately be with God. Anything separate from that is idolatry and leads you down every dark path that we've spent the last two months speaking about. Just like Eve fell. That little thought of God, you're good, but you're not good enough. There is the root of every problem that we have ever faced. So may we turn back to finding those idols and destroying them and turn back to getting everything that we need by actually accepting that it comes from God and accepting that God is Lord and stepping down from that throne and saying, I don't belong here. 
There's only one person who belongs there and that's you, Lord. And I submit to you. That's what it means that you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It's not just Savior. It's Lord and Savior. He's the King and He's also the one who saves. Yeah? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just struggle so much with this one. Lord, it just underlies everything that, that we do, every thought that we've ever had that's ever led to a fall, has come from thinking that I am God, has come from thinking that the decision is mine and that what you said to me isn't true and that you're hiding something from me and that you're not good and that you don't have my best interests at heart, Lord. Fallen so many times off the back of that mistake. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way back, Lord. Today, Lord, for all those willing to commit themselves and say you belong on the throne and no one else and most certainly not me and nothing else. Lord, would you give us the grace to just submit to you every day of our lives um, as our King, as our Lord, as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.